Monday, January 1st, 2024, and it's the first of the year, and it's a one seed for the San Francisco 49ers. Wake up with Damon and Larry. Good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. Larry, you know, we, we got going four minutes late for coming after New Year's Eve. Really ain't bad, if you don't mind me saying. Well, we actually we showed up on time. We just had a little uh, pre-show chit-chat. So, yeah, um, it was, you know, I had had the alarm came quick because, uh, you know, I was up late last night making sure that, you know, my partying children were uh, home from their parties. But other than that, it was a pretty quiet night with just me and my youngest and my uh, wife hanging around the house. Quite in contrast to uh, to uh, New Year's Eve's of past. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, young Damon Bruce and old Damon Bruce. And uh, young Damon Bruce wants to smack old Damon Bruce in the face. Look at what you've become, sir. But, you know, wives, kids, moms in town, and uh, that'll do it. That, that'll absolutely do it. And And let's face it, New Year's Eve has become amateur hour out there. I mean, it's for people who don't go out all year long. I used to go out an awful lot. I used to be like, Mr. Let's do something on a Wednesday night. That doesn't happen very much with a four-year-old and a two-year-old, but <laughs> no, Larry, believe me, as somebody who's uh, had the four-year-old and the two-year-old, I'm very, very, very familiar with those days. Um, it is kind of a special, uh, a special anniversary for myself and my wife because we don't celebrate a lot of different things, but one day that we kind of celebrate that maybe other people don't is the day that we actually met. And we met on New Year's Eve in uh, from 1994 going into 1995 and got married in 99. So uh, was it a random bump in? Was it, in a, was it an arrangement? Did someone try to put the two of you in the same room together to see if it would work? Or was it just, hey, check at a party. How you doing? Well, you know, it's like I come from a pretty big family, right? So I've got an older brother. I've got an older sister. I've got a younger sister. And this just happened to be. A, a college friend of one of my younger sisters who showed up at my parents' house. I actually met her in my parents' kitchen for the very first time. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> so, so right away, you had you, you like the Niners had home field advantage, Larry. Home field advantage. Uh, you know, I was I was I'm two I'm what two years older than my wife, so you know I'm a little. I had more maturity. No, no, I didn't really have more maturity, but you know what I'm saying. I was older. And, uh, and, um, you know, I was on my home turf and, you know, so what it's amazing. It's amazing. So we met that night in my parents' kitchen. We started dating later on that year and there you go. Well, here we are, four that's kids fantastic, later. man, that is fantastic. Um, and I guess the whole point of this is how important it is to have that comfortable home field advantage in life. And certainly in sports, my goodness, Larry, you know, every single coach sits down and writes a list of goals before a season starts. And I think the first thing on, on every single coach's list is simply win your division because everything that good starts there. Yeah. Win your division. And then beyond that, can you take it to the extreme of maybe you will even have the best record in your conference? The San Francisco 49ers under Kyle Shanahan in year seven have had maybe their best year under Kyle Shanahan all the way around. When you walk around the entire car on the, you know, on, on the car lot and you're, you're doing your 360 looking at the car for the first time. When you look at this 
from 360 degrees. I really do think it's Kyle Shanahan's best season as a head coach. And therefore, it's the best 49ers season in seven years. And they've accomplished not just everything they hope to accomplish. They've accomplished even more than they wanted to because they've got a punt it away game in week 18, which means they have the luxury of, let's call it, extreme rest. Not only will they have a bye week, they've got a built-in throwaway late preseason game against the Rams that should be conducted as a preseason game. That's something you and I talked about last night. And let's start there this morning. Yeah, um, Throw it all away in week 18, right? If you're important to a title run, hopefully you can be kept off the field entirely. Well, you know, the thing, the thing is, and that's going to be an impossibility, right? Because they're, <clears throat> it's a team sport and, you know, you got 22 starters uh, on offense and defense. Doesn't even include, include your special teams. You won't be able to rest 22 guys. So you're not going to be able to rest all your starters. You're going to have to roll some guys out there. I think guys understand that. But for everybody that I think had to have rest, which are, you know, Eric Armstead obviously needs more rest. And Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. And, you know, a couple other guys. Hey, I saw him putting layers of tape on Christian McCaffrey's calf on oh, Sunday. Christian so McCaffrey needs to sit it out. Yeah. Sit him out. Any, I mean, you have other guys. You can go with J.P. Mason. I mean, this is kind of the advantage of not having gone with Mason or Mitchell all year is that you've gotten to this point and they're totally fresh. So, I mean, you can get through a football game with Mason and Mitchell. You don't have to have Christian McCaffrey. I saw the hit that George Kittle took yesterday on the leg uh, from a Washington defender. Larry, that could have um, been ACL, MCL, PCL, meniscus. The whole thing could have been blown up in that one play. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's, I, you know, I guarantee you, and the guy came back in the game because he's an all-time tough guy throwback, but he's feeling it this morning. Sit him out. Sit out anybody that that you need to to get rest. And the the two weeks is just awesome. That's just a perfect amount of time. Um, you know, they won't get rust. I don't believe don't even entertain the idea of oh, they could get rusty. They're not gonna get rusty because they practice. And when you practice, you're still going, you're still playing, you're just not taking hits. You're basically the it's not like they're not, it's not like they're going on a three-week vacation to Bermuda. They're going to be in Santa Clara lifting, meeting, and practicing and honing their craft as their body recuperates from daily almost hitting, definitely weekly hitting. That goes back to the 4th of July. So, I mean, they, they, some of these guys really need it. I, and it's funny. It's like <clears throat> they're, our, they're, mo they're the America's modern-day gladiators, so we don't really, you know, ever think about it. But they're real people behind those hits. And these guys don't feel good on Monday as the season progresses and they don't feel good after the game uh, as the season progresses. And the older you get, the harder it is to bounce back. Um, and, you know, there are a number of guys, John Feliciano, and, you know, you can play some backup D linemen, Robert, all your young guys, D winters and Jalen Graham should get some run. Uh, Robert Beal jr. Should get some run at, at defensive end. Um, everybody, all your quality depth, needs to see the field in this final game. Luter sees the field. Verrett Luter. sees the field. Verrett is interesting because Verrett it was not healthy in this or was not up in this last game, and I don't know why. I'm not sure if it was health-related or just they wanted to get Womack out there, but 
I've said it to you a few times. I'd rather them go with the younger guys, Womack and Luter over, you know, the veteran guys like Logan Ryan and, and, uh, and Jason Verrett. I mean, if they can, I mean, obviously they've, they may have to go with Ryan because he's so versatile and he can play inside, but get your young guys on the field as much hey, as possible. See Danny Gray for the first time ever. Would, would love to see Danny Gray. Would love to see Danny Gray. Tay Martin is another guy. You know, the 49ers have a handful of guys. And, um, you know, it's like if you were at training camp and, you, and you're and you familiar with the talent, man, you know, it, this, is, this is not going to be – this is going to be a very encouraging week 18 from a personnel standpoint because – there's a bunch of talented players that really haven't gotten on the field yet. And Winters and um, Graham, I think, are at the at the top of the list. I mean, those guys are starting caliber linebackers that just have never played hardly this year. Winters a little bit more than Graham, but basically neither has played any significant number of snaps because you've got Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, then you got Oren Burks, you got Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, you got Curtis Robinson, you got other guys. So... They'll, they'll yeah. lean on their depth here. Curtis Robinson's another guy. Uh, the guy they just attract, uh, acquired, Sebastian Joseph Day, probably gets some run in this last game. Uh, maybe guys like Taylor Hawkins off the practice squad. Um, you know, Willie Sneed off the practice squad. This is a perfect spot for Willie. T.Y. McGill is going to get some run in this game. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a time to look at your depth, heal up your wounds, and um, it's really a break because this Rams team is coming on and it was going to take quite a bit of energy expended to beat them. Oh, and it was now- gonna be a real big boy football game. So yeah, you, get absolutely. To, you get to really dodge all the wear and tear that comes with a division rivalry and a Rams team that is just sick and freaking tired of losing to the Niners in the regular season. I mean, NFC game title game withstanding. Sean McVay is not happy with his regular season record against Kyle Shanahan. So he no. would have gotten kitchen synced. Um, and, uh, and it's good that the 49ers can really, you know, as much as you can professionally look past a football game, they're going to, they, they have the luxury of looking past their final regular season game. And again, all that you hope to accomplish as a team in a regular season has been accomplished before the regular season even ends. So that's how good of a season it's really been for the 49ers. And it's really been a great couple of seasons for the 49ers. And we've seen, you know, an awful lot of people and pundits and media folk, you know, just complain and rain criticism from the high heavens upon the choices that this front office has made, uh, the way Kyle goes about executing a game plan, which, like anything, if you want to nitpick it, if you want to find something that you don't like, you can you can look at it and find something that you don't like. But what you will find is a historically prolific, spread the ball around, share it with everyone NFL offense, and Larry, that's where we start are just the facts. Maybe our most famous of all of our segments here on Wake Up. The 49ers, uh, before we get into the individual numbers, just as a team, with four players surpassing 1,000 yards from scrimmage and Brock Purdy being over the 4,000-yard mark, the 49ers became the fourth team in NFL history to have a quarterback with 4,000 or more passing yards and four players with 1,000 or more yards from scrimmage. Beyond that, if you'd like something that is just theirs alone, 
They've done that too, Larry. The 49ers are the first team in NFL history to have a running back, two wide receivers, a tight end, each post a thousand or more yards from scrimmage in a single season. So, you know, one of the common criticisms is Shanahan tries to do too much. You know, he should get into a game and he should stick with something that works until it doesn't work. And there's a part of me that does agree with that. You know, I mean, really, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But Kyle has become the best in football at spreading it around and making you wonder as an opponent where the next punch is coming from. And they did so in historical, prolific fashion all regular season long. And remember, the regular season isn't even over. It's, it's you know, unbelievable what they've been able to accomplish this year. Um, and you think about this being, you said something early on about this could be Kyle's finest year. I mean, he had to deal with the landmine of the guy we thought was the guy at quarterback isn't the guy. The guy that we lucked into at quarterback is the guy. And how do we commit to the guy that we didn't think was the guy and somehow part ways with the guy that we thought was the guy and spent a lot of money and draft picks to acquire because we told our owner he was the guy. How do we, you know what I mean? How do we surf that whole wave and, you know, successfully? And they've done it. I mean, um, right. what Purdy's would, would pick to that degree, you better come back with some sort of historic evidence that we made the right choice after all. And they've got that in spades. Exactly. They, you know, they were going to be questioned. And, you know, it's funny when we showed up in training camp, the one thing that was clear as day to me was that. Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey uh, and Debo Samuel, three of their top weapons, were all in big-time shape, primed for career years. We said it. We talked about it. We analyzed it on a day-to-day basis. But it was really clear with McCaffrey in minicamp, and then it was really clear starting in training camp that Debo was in great shape and Ayuk was having an all-timer and that McCaffrey was going to have his best year. And just that alone gave you confidence that this was going to be a good offensive year. But you still had a big question on your offensive line. You still had a big question at quarterback. And, um, and you know, they all – Kyle made it all happen, and it all came together. And, um, you know, they got just enough out of their offensive line, and Purdy became a star. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. I mean, it's, it's, we can talk about Brock Purdy, the last pick, Mr. Irrelevant, but this guy passed Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jeff Garcia. I mean, he goes 22 of 28 yesterday for 230 and two touchdowns, 4,280 yards on the season. The guy has gone from, you know, just a guy who's, you know, getting reps behind Nate Sudfeld to the most prolific passer in any single season in the history of this storied franchise. Right. The, 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 the team that in our lifetimes reinvented the topic of quarterback, the single most prolific passing season in the history isn't Joe Montana. It's not Steve Young and it's not Jeff Garcia. It's Brock freaking Purdy. And don't let anybody, and don't let anybody tell you that, Oh, well, you know, it's modern football and this and that. He did it in 16 games. Right. The right. same no, way that those guys accomplished their yardage total in 16 games, be, you know, prior to the NFL adding the 17th game. So it's like, yeah, yes, he played in the 17 game era, 
but he did it in 16 games. Right. No. So the word asterisk in San Francisco sounds like a badge of shame because it was associated with Barry and steroids and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Asterix was just, you know, let's point out something was different between those times and that time. There is no Roger Maris going on here. It wasn't a 17th game that made Brock Purdy get all these numbers and records. As a matter of fact, I don't I I know for a fact we're not even going to see Brock Purdy in that 17th game. Right. I mean, you got to start Sam Darnold against yeah. the Rams. That's why Sam is here. So and again, I actually think. That will be a good thing for the 49ers coming out in the wash of the postseason as well. God forbid something happened to Purdy and he goes down in any way, shape, or form. Darnold getting some real live reps in a game that matters, in, in actual moments of a football game that matter, not just victory formation, is, is good for everything that goes into the postseason. So that's a good thing, too. You were talking about Brandon Ayuk, and again, it's always quarterback or defensive stars, and and I, I feel like we haven't discussed Ayuk enough, and Ayuk certainly has separated himself from just about all other wide receivers in franchise history. Um, and, and this is a team that, again, has had some very special wide receivers in franchise history. Brandon Ayuk has seven games this season with 100 or more receiving yards, that's the third most in team history. Uh, Jerry had nine and 95. Jerry had eight and 89. And Jerry had seven in 1990. And Brandon Ayuk is now tied with that 1990 season of Jerry, Jerry Rice for seven games with 100 or more receiving yards. So when you're on a list with only Jerry Rice, that's a pretty good list to be on as a wide receiver for the 49ers. No doubt. And, and, to me, um, you know, Ayuk, you know, unbelievable. S wasn't it his 600-yard day of the season? Um, the it guy, was 7th, Larry. 700-yard day of the season? Seven. Oh, okay. They said on the broadcast sixth. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the one, the, the, the touchdown from Purdy to Ayuk was just a thing of beauty. And it, it really, um, it showed, I mean, this, this season showed one, how, what a tough guy uh, Ayuk really is, but also to me the 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 you know signature play in some ways of this season may have been in this Commanders game, simply from the standpoint of you have Purdy kind of showing that you know what makes him the quarterback that he is. Right, escapability. It's that, it's that athleticism and it's this escapability and it's the quickness and it's the. It's the play extending quickness that he showed. He spun out of pressure there. He finds Brandon Ayuk. He directs him to an open spot, and then he delivers a strike right on the money. Uh, it was it was the late in the down throw that Jimmy Garoppolo could not make that kept the the cap on the Niners offensively, and despite the presence of Shanahan and all these weapons, is Jimmy couldn't make the late in the down play that Brock makes repeatedly. I mean, you're and, quoting Greg Cosell verbatim right there, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Greg, you know, it's funny. I always joke about, you know, they've now created all these soft ways of saying you failed, right? You know, he's <laughs> right. not a, you know, there's a lot of, guy used to be a hacker. Now there's a lot of swing and miss in his game. You know, there's a little bit too much swing and miss in his game uh, right. when they're talking about a, a bad hitter. And yeah, I mean, this is a, another example of that. But yeah, I mean, Brock Purdy, um, you know, really bounced back. I mean, you know, this was a, the big question coming into this game was going to be the Ravens showed like how to beat Brock Purdy. And, 
at least they they claim they did right uh which is flood zones that flood windows that he typically likes to throw in in the intermediate and down the field in the middle of the field with all kinds of extra bodies and force him to throw make throws outside and washington copied that formula to some degree and he did he was forced to make some plays outside and he looked a little uncomfortable early but he adjusted and um you know that was the question is like did the niners have the answers to the defensive wrinkles that the ravens kind of showed and i think in this game they kind of proved that they did well against the caliber of the commander's secondary i don't know if it's exactly a straight draw one line through the next i mean the the, the, the commanders found themselves deep into their secondary's depth chart before the game even started and then it got worse for them in the game but yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's anything that really phases Brock, including the game that he is throwing four interceptions in. Again, sometimes you show who you are when things are going at their worst, right? Yeah. It's it's easy it's easy to maintain a strut when things are going well. It's another thing to not have a rattled demeanor about you when things are going poorly. And I was really impressed by Brock about that. And I know that this is people saying, you know, this week it sounds like some evidence of significant quarterback play being in that young man. You know, it, it's the, the the clarity of hindsight is amazing. It really truly is. Um, speaking of Brock, Larry. He's the first 49ers quarterback with 30 touchdown passes in a season since Jeff Garcia back in 2001. The franchise record is 36. That was Steve Young in 98. Um, uh, Young did it twice. Garcia did it twice. Joe Montana, uh, John Brody, and, and now Brock Purdy is in that 30 touchdown neighborhood. He also became the 49ers single season passing yardage leader, as we've already discussed and he did it in 16 games, so no Roger Maris asterisk needed in any way, shape, or form. And now we get to the real impressive number. His eight games with a passer rating of 120 or higher are tied for the second most in a single season in NFL history. I mean, prolific efficiency is what the 49ers have come to expect from this guy, and he delivers more often than not. It's been one of the coolest things I have ever seen since covering Bay area sports, any team, any season. Um, it's, you know, in sports, we're programmed to expect things, but we're also programmed to not expect things. Even why, even while Kyle Shanahan was cutting Trey Lance, he couldn't have expected this from Brock Purdy. You know, he's making the hardest choice of his career and it turned out even better than even Shanahan could have possibly imagined. This is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the 49ers. That's a big mouthful of quarterbacking compliment. No doubt. I mean, that's why this, you know, it's funny. It's like it, it, it hit me watching this guy, you know, in his rookie year that, um, you know, just, just in camp, you know, and in minicamp, that what we were looking at was not was not nothing normal. It wasn't normal uh, to see a guy drafted last show up in minicamp and literally master every drill like he had been there for five years. Right. And that's what he did. That's what this guy did. And when I kept seeing it, I kept that. And I'm like, am I watching what I think I'm watching? And, you know, you doubt yourself because. Every it's like, you know, it's like 
the too good to be true thing. How many things in life are too good to be true? In some ways, Brock Purdy's too good to be true. Um, and you so you, immediately you're like, oh, this there's got to be another shoe to drop here. There's this has got to be you know fool's gold. There's got to be some some return to the mean or what you know you know there had to be some bounce right. back market correction a market yeah, some, correction. something and 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 it was, everybody was logical to 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 be expecting that and to be waiting for that and i understood that but um you know the more i saw this guy i saw this is guy this guy's the real deal yeah you know he's he's got and not only does he have all the physical traits that you're looking for arm strength quickness uh, body strength. He's kind of a thick guy. Um, you know, it's as far as he's not, he's not super tiny, even though he's not the biggest broad shouldered six, five guy, he's not small. He's 225 pounds or whatever. Um, he's got some size on him. He's, he's, he's a decent sized player. And then he's also got great quickness, but his, his true gifts are, you know, the heart, the brain, you know, right. everything that you can't see stuff that you can't see and that's why people miss because you can't see what makes him great it doesn't it doesn't readily it's not readily apparent unless you actually watched Iowa State football and how many of us actually watched Iowa State football not very many um and and so it's like you know I I, I was la- I really laughed to myself when people scoffed when I was like man this guy's this guy's a little bit better than you think you know um and it was like oh come on come on come on you know it's either lance or garoppolo um and yet i was i've been at all these camps and all these practices and this guy was clearly better than garoppolo uh, much more consistent than lance much much better of a playmaker than sudfeld and it was like i'm sitting there watching this going am i watching this right and sure enough here we are what a couple short years later, this guy's not just a starting quarterback of the team. He's a star. And on the, you know, if he wins a cut, if he finds a way to finish this and get this done in Vegas, this guy is going to be the biggest story in the NFL, regardless of team, which means he's the biggest story in American sports, <laughs> right? That's what I mean, that means. That's an amazing distance to travel from, Mr. Irrelevant last pick in the draft. Nobody really believes in you. You're going to get cut for Nate Sudfeld to you made the team. You've won games. You've won playoff games. I mean, if by chance this guy gets to and wins the Super Bowl two and oh last year, I guess two and one, um, he would he would wind up being five and one in the playoffs if he wins the Super Bowl with an unbelievable statistical a resume and an, an incredibly uh, strong regular season record. If you want to give him that. So it's an amazing story. It absolutely is an amazing story. And then to see him get the game ball last night to see Trent Williams, embrace him outside the locker room and just say, Hey man, way to go to see his teammates kind of support him. Debo walk in, walking in with a Brock Purdy for MVP jacket that, Kyle Hughes wife made. Um, I mean, it was easy, but it was, it was classic. And um, Brock Purdy is just continuing to play at a very, very high level. And people laughed. I said he was better than Herbert people. I had Bruce Jenkins send me a note. Oh, you may want to rethink that stick, stick to baseball, big boy. I, I got it over here. You're going to be just fine over there. Uh, I, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, Herbert sucks, but I mean, 
you know, Brock Purdy's playing at a very, very high level. And don't just because he's not 6'5, 230 with an a- absolute howitzer doesn't mean that in any way he's some low end second tier quarterback. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and I think one of the biggest reasons why Brock Purdy gets denied by people who want to deny what they're actually seeing is because they're overly invested in pretending that they know about the draft and selling the draft as its standalone media event that it's become and the importance of the draft. And Brock Purdy has essentially spit in the eye of all the draftism out there. To me, I think it's the, the exact opposite. I really do. Like, this just shows you the importance of the draft. Forget the fact that he might have been passed over all of those rounds. The point is is you can find an NFL player anywhere in that draft. It's drafts are important. And Brock Purdy, I think gets scored against because he's diminished the draft. When I think if you want to look at it from the other perspective, he has illuminated how important it is. You can find a franchise changing player in the last round of a draft. It's not just Brock. It's not just Tom Brady anymore. It happened again. You know, it wasn't lightning. Lightning is struck twice, I guess. So isn't um, it classic? Isn't it? I mean, not to interrupt you, but isn't it classic how we're in a market now, Damon, where um, Trey Lance and James Wiseman were drafted high and Trace Jackson Davis and Brock Purdy were drafted almost at the very bottom. Yes. And yet, Trace is worlds better than Wiseman and Purdy is worlds better than Lance. Yeah, no, it, it's really something else. There is an awful lot of correlation there for sure. Uh, you're, you're probably aged out of um, having seen the movie Ratatouille, Larry. Have you seen Ratatouille, the Disney movie? Pixar movie? <laughs> I, did. I did. Believe me, I've got, okay. I've got four kids. I've seen Ratatouille. Okay, and it's a very well-made flick. It is, and the whole point of Ratatouille, the 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 restaurant critic at the end, it's better with a couple gummies, but yes, yes, like all Disney movies. Yeah. Um, but look, the whole point of Ratatouille is the very embittered restaurant critic who thinks that greatness must be, you know, French-born you know, uh, uh, you know, blue ribbon trained chef. And that's the only kind of cuisine he's interested in. The entire, you know, aha of that entire movie is him realizing, you know, not everyone has greatness in them. Like that's a lie that a lot of people are sold. Everyone can be great. No, not everyone can be great. Greatness is not an option for everyone, but greatness can come from anywhere. It can come from anywhere. Look at me getting all ratatouille on everyone, but it's the truth. (laughs) Greatness can come from anywhere. It's not within everyone, but it can come from anywhere. Wake up, jump the shark. It was the ratatouille show and their numbers plummeted from there. It was, it was the famous ratatouille Monday on January 1st. And it took the whole thing down. Do you see how stoned Damon and Larry were for that January 1st show where they talked about Ratatouille for two and a half hours? I mean, it was a breakdown of animated stuff. You know, I thought he was great. I thought he was funny. I enjoyed it. I took Tate. We had popcorn. I told him no better. My wife said, what do you want to put on? Oh, I got Disney Plus. And I said, honey, I, r- I wrote down one name and I put it in an envelope. <laughs> 
Let me tell you, Larry. It's Ratatouille. Ratatouille. We're watching Ratatouille. Hey, let me tell you that rat had some ACLs on him. I'll tell you that, rat. Tell you that, Larry. And that, and you know, similar to the way he went through all the junky food, I go through each and every draft prospect, and I take a deep look, a deep dive. Ultimately, what we saw there with Ratatouille is a rat that really took a deep dive. I take a deep dive when I'm looking at free safeties, Lowry. People are going to think the show's about to end if we're doing Ralph and Trent already <laughs> talking to each other. So let's sure welcome, is a shortened show. Let's welcome everyone to wake up here with Damon and Larry. Happy New Year to you, Niners fans. You are the one seed. You are home for the postseason. And should you go to the Super Bowl, that is an 85-minute, 95-minute plane ride into Vegas. So the team's not going to leave the time zone for the rest of the year. That is a luxury unto itself. And they have the single biggest, I think, you know, force multiplier of who the Niners are. And Tim Kawakami was writing an article pretty much about this. Um, and, and I was reading a little of it this morning on our, while I was making coffee to come on down here and, and talk with you, Larry, the, the whole point of the Niners is they're pretty much good enough to beat anyone anywhere, anytime in the regular season. But if you want to be dealing with a monster, baking a little rest into that equation, when the Niners have had their rest, when they've been healthy that's when they've put their most overwhelming statements of football out on the football field. And what a luxury that they've worked all regular season to be able to afford for themselves the rest that is now built in, not only to the bye week, but thanks to the Arizona Cardinals muffin baskets for everybody in Arizona. Send flowers to the Bidwells. Send flowers to Kyler Murray and send send the biggest basket you got to James Conner. Oh my God, Larry. The Arizona Cardinals. The worthless, hapless, always pain in the ass Arizona freaking Cardinals did the Niners one of the greatest favors any team has ever done for another team by taking out the Eagles at the link on Sunday. What an unbelievable turn of events. So not only do you have the wild card by week built in, but you got a full on it don't matter week 18 game against the Rams. I never really thought that that was going to happen uh, when they when the 49ers dumped the game to the Ravens on Christmas, I thought that that ship had sailed. I thought that they were going to have to go 2-0 and because I really, even though I missed her, anyone could beat anybody on any given day. I didn't see the Eagles losing at home to the Cardinals, but it happened. Well, oh, I know. And way to go, Jonathan Gannon. And way to go, Cardinals. And Kyler was great. And Dorch made a huge play. And, yeah, I mean, the Eagles are reeling. And their fans are jumping ship. They're booing their team off the field. The play calling in that game was horrible by Sirianni. Literally, Eagles fans who were in the Super Bowl last year praising Sirianni as better than Shanahan and one of the top-tier coaches in all of football. And here we are, January 1st, 2024, and there's people... Get rid of this guy. This guy, you know, and they're ripping his his uh, Italian heritage. They're ripping his... I mean, it's like, this guy can't coach. But some of the plays yesterday, I mean... They had like a third and 16 play and they ran Hertz off the right side like he was going to run for 16. I mean, it's like, what the hell play call was that? A.J. Brown's looking around like, dude, 
Remember when we used to throw the ball, I don't know, down the field on third and 16? Um, you know, they, there's, they're in a bad way right now. The Eagles are in a bad way. And the Cardinals, I mean, that was a perfect spot for them. You know, it's like they're they're trying to send a message. They're trying to establish a culture. Um, and they did. They went a great distance to establishing a culture. They didn't have Buda Baker early in the year. They do have him now. And he's obviously a great, great player. He made a number of big plays yesterday. But, you know, it's interesting, Damon, you hit on one other thing about the Niners and how they, you know, they with rest, they're really dangerous. If you just chart and you say, well, what is it? What is it? What are we really talking about? What's the impact of fatigue? Okay, where are you seeing it? And to me, it's the there's one stat that you got to look at. It's look at the Niners missed tackles. Okay, this is what it's been this year. Week one, seven. Week two against the Rams, not Steelers. Week two against the Rams, eight. Week three, so they're not early in the year. A lot of times teams miss tackles because there's not a lot of live hitting in training camp. Right. And the regulars don't get a lot of preseason action. So always always ahead of the hitters in a major league season, blah, blah, blah. So you're going to see some missed tackles first couple weeks. Sure enough, they did. Okay. Now you get to week three. Three against the Giants, that's a very low number. Four against Arizona, that's an incredibly low number because that was James Conner. Two against Dallas, so they were absolutely peaking, right? Yeah. So now you get to October, and here come, you're getting a little bit fatigued. You're you're building up a number of games. Guys are getting dinged up. Ten against Cleveland, nine against Minnesota, 13 against the Bengals, and Shanahan described his team as fatigued and a little slow. And so then they they get the bye, okay? They get the week off of rest. They come back the next week. They only hit missed seven against Jacksonville, low number, uh, four against Tampa, low number, five at thanks, on Thanksgiving in Seattle, very low number. Then they missed 12 in Philly despite the fact that they won the game. Then they missed 14 in the return trip against Char- uh, Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker in the game at Levi's. Uh, there were a lot of missed tackles in that game. Then they missed 16 against Arizona. Then they missed a bunch, I'm sure, against the Ravens. I don't have that number in front of me, but that's where the fatigue shows itself. Here's the thing. I don't even think they missed a number of tackles against the Ravens. They just threw a lot of interceptions against the Ravens. Yeah. No, because they were, and you know why they wouldn't miss a lot of tackles against the Ravens? Because they were really up for that game. You right. know, I mean, when they get up for a game and they're really getting your a, their A game, they don't fall off tackles as much, but they expended a lot of energy to to be in that situation. Now you've got two weeks to rest up. It's like double bye week. And I just think that what you're really going to see is you're going to see them just like tackling machines coming out of this thing. And that makes them, you know, I mean, we know they're an offense that can score 30. And they sometimes will go for 40. And if they've got a defense that's rested and ready and at full tilt tackling wise, they're going to be nearly impossible to 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 get out of there. You know, it, there are certain positions on the field where you can't really measure an impact statistically. And maybe chief among all of those positions is D tackle. D-tackle doesn't come with glorified stats usually attached to it. One of the reasons why Hargrave really stung, you know, st- stood out for the Niners to go pursue is because of all of the sacks that he had as a D-tackle in Philadelphia, and he's had a good number this year too. 
But Eric Armstead has never really been a sack artist, but he is someone who eats up blockers and makes everyone along that defensive line function so much better than they do without him. And getting Eric Armstead back for the playoffs, rested and healthy, I, I can't think of a bigger development to improve this defense than that. Did you see the video that I retweeted? Everybody who doesn't follow me on Twitter, please go follow me on Twitter at Sports Larry K. I tweeted out an Eagles rant from this guy who's just, I mean, it's so it's so foul. I can't even play it on here, right? It's just it's over the top foul. I and mean, he's attacking Sirianni. But oh, it just shit. Irate fan watching TV. Yeah, I've seen it. Did you see it? I mean, yeah. just like, you know, and what do they call? <laughs> just like, yeah, that's a guy's just losing his mind. He's insulting Sirianni's heritage. He's, he's, you know, this guy was in the Super Bowl last year. Greg Iscon says, I'm sure Larry regrets claiming Howie Roseman is the best GM in football earlier this year. He's one of them. No, there's no doubt. I, I wouldn't take that back at all. I mean, Howie Roseman is a phenomenal general manager. That's why the Eagles are so talented. I mean, the Eagles are a massive amount of talent. I mean, that they, they they're hurting in a certain spots, and they and they lost their both coordinators. But Howie Roseman is an awesome, awesome general manager, um, and and has done it both with trades, free agents, and the draft. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's just. Right now, the 49ers have got it really rolling, and yesterday couldn't have been a whole lot better. And watching the guys like run off into the locker room after they saw that that Arizona had pulled the upset uh, was incredible to see. And now they get a couple weeks to just practice and kind of hone their craft and sleep in their own beds and rest up and um, you know bring it on. I, this is a great opportunity, and I do get the feeling that Shanahan has learned from past, you know, past seasons, little things that he probably doesn't even discuss from practice habits to ways to keep his team slightly fresher to ways to react to certain situations. Um, I, I think that he's definitely gotten, you know, the experience of having failed and, um, and we'll see if they can get it done this year. This is, you know, their standards, as we all know, this year are Super Bowl or bust. So we'll see if, you know, right now they set themselves up and now it's about, I mean, Dante Whitner said it great. Um, he said, Hey, now it's about, you know, the dedication and how hard you're going to work and commit to, you know, the soul, you know, the next three, four weeks to, to, um, you know, getting your, your goals accomplished. He said, we didn't, you know, focus like we should have, uh, talking about the Harbaugh team that lost to the Ravens. And he's like, we came three points shy of the Super Bowl. And you can tell it haunts him to this day. And it's like he's thought about New Orleans and that Super Bowl loss to the Ravens an awful lot because that's as close as he ever got to a ring. And so you get this close, you want to take your best shot. And I'm sure Shanahan will verbally implore them to do exactly that. Well, just like, you know, it, it was absurd to say, well, Brock Purdy's not going to get any better. It's crazy to think that Kyle Shanahan's not going to get any better. Of course, he's going to get better. He's a really yeah. smart guy. He knows exactly what he's doing. And, you know, he, he might be um, stubborn in particular. And some people want to, again, nitpick more of this, less of that. But when you look at the totality of everything that this team has accomplished offensively, again, the 49ers, the first team in NFL history 
to have a running back, two wide receivers, and a tight end, each post a thousand or more yards from scrimmage in a single season. Um, it, it's it's really impressive. To get back to just finishing up the just the facts, because this is really an amazing fact on Christian McCaffrey, who needs no more you know, flowers handed to him. I think everybody realizes that Christian McCaffrey is probably going to finish in the top three of MVP voting. And oh, by the way, if on Christmas, Lamar became the clubhouse leader, he sunk the putt on the 18th hole to be your MVP against the Miami Dolphins, a five touchdown performance for Lamar. You can just give him that MVP trophy right now. It should be his, but so. um, McCaffrey played his 30th game with the 49ers in D.C. That is including the postseason. 30 games as a member of the 49ers. In 30 games with this team, he scored 34 total touchdowns, which is the second most touchdown scored by a player in their first 30 games with a team in NFL history. Only Gail Sayers has more. Gail Sayers. <laughs> Kansas <laughs> Comet. <laughs> Excuse the me. Hall of Famer. Gail Sayers, the greatest open field runner in NFL history. Like, that's what Barry Sanders will tell you about Gail Sayers. Um, 36 touchdowns for Gail Sayers in his first 30 games. McCaffrey with 34 touchdowns in 30 games. That's Madden. That's pretend football. That that doesn't happen. And it it happened with him. He's so good. He is so special. And um the fact that he gets two weeks off now is going to increase the violence. I mean, you saw him popping off. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is seven yards down the field every time he touches the ball almost, unless he's like taking a three-yard loss because a team just gobbled up that screen pass that was thrown to him. I mean, he is he is so good. He is the most fallenest forward running back in this league since Derrick Henry. And we're talking about two completely different body types. Um, he, he is, he's so special. And having said all that, Larry, it was really good to see Elijah Mitchell come in against the commanders for the first time, the entire season, someone other than Christian McCaffrey was the 49ers leading ball carrier in a game. Elijah Mitchell has not had the needle fall on him very often. It did on Sunday. And boy, I thought he really answered the bell. Larry, uh, Elijah Mitchell hasn't looked that good, that effective since his rookie year. Battling injuries, it's been a tough comeback, um, but he he looked crisp. I really liked what we saw out of Eli Mitchell. Oh, he's good. He's good. I mean, you know, it's so funny because I remember the day before the Niners traded for Christian McCaffrey. I'm interviewing one of their beat writers in the stadium after practice, and I said to him, "Um, man, I'm seeing some rumors about Christian McCaffrey every week. Who is it? I mean, this isn't, it's okay that that person was wrong. We're allowed to be wrong in sports sometimes. Who who was it? Who who was it? It was the great Cam Inman. Okay. Great Cam Inman said, Hey, they don't need, they're not going to trade for Christian McCaffrey. I said, why? Because they don't need him. They've got Elijah Mitchell and Jeff Wilson. And it wasn't a ridiculous answer at the time. It wasn't a need. It was a want. Right. Well, I mean, also, and also McCaffrey, you know, it's like, I don't need a Lamborghini. I've got a, you know, I've got a uh, Honda CRV. You had a Corvette Lamborghini with a Corvette, you know, so. (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe uh, one's a Corvette, one's a Lamborghini. Either way, though, McCaffrey was really, really special. And, 
you know, here, here it was, you know, yesterday, he's already been used a ton and he gets 18 touches and he gains 91 yards from scrimmage. Um, but then he suffers the strained calf muscle. And, you know, I was going to say that today's a significant day because Kyle will speak later today. And um, he says, we'll find out more uh, on Monday um, about, about his calf. Uh, you know, Shanahan said after the game, we think he'll be all right. I don't know if he would have been able to go next week or not, but we'll, we'll have to find out more on Monday. He was moving around all right on the sideline. So hoping it's not too bad, but yeah, Elijah right. Mitchell, you know, um, really productive running back in college and he played at Louisiana and he's got, you know, four, three speed, but it, you don't really see that when you watch him. The only downside to his game is he's got kind of a between the tackles, big man's game, but it's the pick and the slide and the ability to find the opening and to, you know, basically, you know, run to daylight and hold on to the football and the balance. And, you know, when he gets two steps going, I mean, he's got to get two steps going, but if he gets two steps going, man, he's really a hard guy to tackle for a loss. He's, He's slithery. He falls forward. He's got great instincts. He doesn't fumble the football. And Look, so, no, yeah, that, those are great traits right there. I mean, that's why that's why he's earned the trust of Kyle Shanahan. I think in an ideal world, Shanahan would use Mitchell in the biggest games in this playoff and Super Bowl run as his second half closer. That's what he wants to use Mitchell as. Look, I, there is no shame in not being as good as Christian McCaffrey. You can be a really, really good running back and still not be as good as Christian McCaffrey is. You know, you it's the difference between were you good at it? Are you a Hall of Famer? Christian McCaffrey's a Hall of Fame running back. He's going to Canton. It's going to happen. And if he has a Super Bowl, it's definitely going to happen. I mean, it is definitely going to happen, I think, anyway. So um, he, he is a wildly special player. The Niners knew that they were um, probably over-investing in a difference maker, but they were willing to make that choice because they thought this guy's enough of a difference maker to make this much of a difference, and folks, he has. Well, it's it, it, you know, not that big and cashed in huge at the window with Christian McCaffrey. And, and it's really ironic, too, because it's because of picks like Elijah Mitchell that they were able to trade a two, a three, a four, and a five for Christian McCaffrey. They hit on so many of their after the draft and day three picks in on this roster that they were able to trade four, four picks for one player because they have the depth because of guys like Elijah Mitchell. I mean, just kind of this game yesterday in a lot of ways was the John Lynch bowl. You know, it's like <laughs> it really was. He stole Trent Williams from Washington in a one-sided trade. He stole Chase Young and Randy Gregory, um, you know, this year in very one-sided trades. He stole Christian McCaffrey in a very one-sided trade. And then he found guys like Elijah Mitchell um, and, and Diamador Lenore, you know, on day, on day three of the draft. So, I mean, it was um, – and all those guys played significant roles yesterday in the in – the, you know, the return to D.C. for Trent and Chase. I mean, it wasn't a particularly huge day for Chase. Um, he hasn't made that much of a difference, really, I don't think. But he's he's a good player. I, I Look at it this way. At the price point he, he could be commanding, 
they might walk away from him at the end of the year. They might, but they but the price but the price was right as far as what they traded to get him. Oh, absolutely. And Randy Gregory was just like basically just a gift from Denver to the Niners. I mean, yep. if I were if I were another contender, I'd be like, wait a second, the Niners traded like the last pick of the sixth round for like the third pick of the seventh round just to you know and got Randy Gregory and you guys paid the salary. You know, I, I'd almost want to. Uh, you know, there to be some kind of Roger Goodell investigation there as, <laughs> as to, well, you know, why did they take so little for a, a pass rusher like Randy Gregory? We're talking about uh, guys put in different situations, watching them excel, sink or swim. Cleveland Farrell's appointed himself very well this year for the Niners. He's been a big piece of what they've done, too. Um, and he's but- been he's benefited from those trades, Damon, because when Cleveland Farrell, he, he kind of runs out of gas. If you notice, Cleveland Farrell oftentimes is really, really good at the beginning of the game and the beginning of a half, because when he's rested, he can really dial up some some, uh, you know, pretty good quickness to go with his you know, strong against the run capabilities. So, um, yeah, Clee Farrell on this team, I mean, he was really strong yesterday. He was. Um, Gregus Khan's comment has been up too long. We don't need Howie Roseman being a part of the show for hours <laughs> on end. Um, welcome to Wake Up with Damon and Larry. It's great to have you here. Hit like, hit subscribe. I see an awful lot of uh, regulars in your chat, Larry, in our chat here as we simulcast on our channels. Again, thanks for all the support for these channels all season long. And I can tell you, we're just getting started. 2024 is going to be a huge year for both Larry and I here on YouTube. Uh, We're excited about being here. Larry's been incredibly helpful to me. Larry's audience has been incredibly receptive. Um, We've shared an awful large portion of the audience throughout our careers and to bring it all together here has been an awful lot of fun. Uh, the Just the Facts segment has gone on longer than Kevin Kruger is going to want to edit through it. So let me just wrap up with this here. Uh, Larry, the defense. The defense yesterday, 43 consecutive games now without allowing an individual 100-yard runner. It's the second longest streak in the NFL in 23 seasons. Mooney Ward punctuated what has really been a career year from him. Uh, biggest play of the game, I thought, for the 49ers is the as the commanders were maybe about to make that game more interesting than any 49er fan wanted it. He had that big interception at the five yard line. And if he wasn't a touched, he might've housed that thing. Uh, but he was grace. He was down at the five. And then the Niners went on and scored. Um, Diamador Lenore had his third interception of the season, but Mooney's interception on Sunday was his fifth of the season. That's a career high for him. You got to send that guy to the Pro Bowl. He's been fantastic. And one of the stress points, one of the biggest stress points coming into this year during the three-game losing streak, especially after the loss in Cleveland, was, oh, Jake Moody, Jake Moody, Jake Moody. I don't know if I believe in Jake Moody. I don't know if I trust Jake Moody. Well, Jake Moody had another perfect day kicking on Sunday. And beyond that, Larry, His 58 straight points after touchdown are now the most by a rookie kicker in NFL history. Considering where the point after touchdown is kicked from now, that's officially an impressive statistic because that statistic is, you know, being measured against a whole bunch of rookie kickers who are kicking, you know, 15 yarders because the ball was spotted at the three. Um, So Jake Moody 
you know, one of the worry spots on this team has become as dependable a rookie kicker as I, I think you, you could have hoped for. He's had an exemplary year beyond the missed kick in Cleveland. Where's the demerit against Jake Moody's rookie season? He's been spectacular. Well, the Niners think they've got their kicker for the next decade, and they probably do. They probably do, and good for them. Uh, they, you know, the, the one thing they, they, you know, the, the Niners uh, were not a great special teams unit a couple years ago um, under Richard Hightower, and they brought in Brian Schneider from Seattle, who's a very respected veteran special teams coach. Um, they invested money in guys like George Odom and Ray Ray McLeod in free agency. They invested draft picks and draft capital in a third in the form of Jake Moody, a fourth in the form of Mitch Wisnowski. They've got nice special teams right now. They got a good long snapper. They got a great, excellent young kicker. They got an excellent young punter. Um, you know, they're, they're making plays on special teams. Womack. I wish the return game were a bit better. And, you know, Ronnie Bell had a decent game. I, I think Sunday he he didn't make any special team mistakes, um, but he I, I still that's Ayuk's job come playoff time I think right I I think you're right too I hope it is I hope it is because there 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 can't be any Kyle Williams memories and flashbacks come postseason time that just cannot happen um, beyond everything else this is the tenth time in franchise history that the 49ers have clinched the one seed only the 10th time in franchise history. The 49ers have won 10 regular season games against NFC opponents in consecutive seasons for the first time since 97, 98. I mean, Larry, I was in college, you know, in, in 1995. So we're, we're talking about, you know, almost 30 years ago. Right. I mean, um, so the 49ers, again, while people have been bitching and moaning and telling you what doesn't work about this team, they've had an incredible amount of sustained success under Kyle Shanahan. They went 7-2 and two on the road this season and 4-0 against the NFC East. So they've, they've, they've been really good for a really long time. Have there been some blips and bumps in the road? Look around football. Who's got a smooth pass? Who's, you know, outside of Kansas City. And I really do think that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs so distorted expectations of football teams at the zenith of their dynasty. Everyone started thinking that that's the new normal. Like some people in the NBA started watching the Warriors during their dynasty. And Steve Kerr would come on my show every single week and say, Damon, this isn't the real NBA. What 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 we are, what is happening, this isn't real. This is This is imagination land. And we're just living in it right now. But this is not the real NBA. The real NFL means you are going to get punched in the teeth at least two, three times a year. And fans overreact to those teeth punchings. You should expect it. It's going to happen. There's no such thing as going undefeated. I don't think, Larry, in our lifetimes, we're never going to see an undefeated football team in a 17-game regular season schedule. It's not going to happen. This league is built to destroy success, to make it disintegrate right when you think you've got it. And the very truth is, is even a four-game losing streak, like, like if you go a month without a loss, you just had a monster fucking month. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is. Putting three wins together at any point in time in this league is hard to do. And the Niners have had multiple five-game winning streaks in this season. So um, they're good. They're really good. They're really well-built. They're really well maintained. And uh, 
And for those who have been insisting the opposite of that for years now, they're looking a little foolish with a one seat attached to the Niners before the regular season even ends. So an unbelievable season, an unbelievable couple of years. And, you know, I, I already know I can hear it. I can feel it in the comments. It hasn't, I don't think I've seen it yet, but I can, I can feel it coming. Somebody is about to say, well, you know, the Niners are 0-38 when they're down eight points in the fourth quarter. And Kyle Shanahan is 0-38 when down eight points in the fourth quarter. And look, that's not great, but it's very normal. It's very normal. I don't know if you saw this tweet from Mike Sando, but Larry, I took a screenshot of it and I saved it for this show because I wanted to bring it up. And I was actually at a New Year's Eve party. Some drunk guy comes up to me and argues with me for a little while. And I busted this out because he's the first thing he said was, oh, and 38 when down eight points. Kyle still can't do it. He's never won the big one. I mean, this guy's got the third most playoff wins in franchise history already, but he's never won a big one. Can't win a big game. Uh, playoff games apparently are not big games unless it's the Super Bowl. but okay. Um, Owen 38 down eight or more in the fourth quarter since Kyle Shanahan has become head coach. Okay. So we're going back seven years of data points. This is from Mike Sando. All teams in football, the entire NFL, when down eight or more points in the fourth quarter is 98, 1,337 and four. <laughs> so all teams in the NFL where Kyle has a zero percentage of winning because he's 0-38, all teams in the NFL are 7%. You're down eight points in the fourth quarter there is a 93% chance you lose that game. Again, it's it, the entire league sucks when down eight points in the fourth quarter. Here's the, here's the Shanahan stat that I think is the most pertinent stat. The two years prior to Shanahan being here, the Niners were combined 7 and 25. I would shut the fuck up about Shanahan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're seven and 25. Right. Guess what they are this year? 12 and four. Guess what they were last year? 13 and four. Guess what they were in 2021? 10 and seven. Guess what they were in 2019? 13 and three. I mean, they've, he's been pretty good. He turned around an entire roster in two years and rebuilt it on the fly. And he didn't even have the quarterback. He really, wanted or envisioned until this very year and look at the success that they've had. But again, just to go back to Mike Sando again and the 0 for 38, all teams in football are winning at a 7% clip when down eight points in the fourth quarter. Kansas right. City has the best winning percentage when down eight in the fourth quarter, and that winning percentage is 300. They're 6-14 and 14 down eight in the fourth quarter. Green Bay would be next at 7-34. and 34. That is a 171 winning percentage. Seattle, in the same time, down, oh, down eight points in the fourth quarter is Seattle's one and 38. Carolina is one and 58. Indianapolis is one 36 and one. Baltimore is two and 22. Dallas is two and 37. New England with Bill Belichick, with Bill fucking Belichick, the greatest 
head coach in NFL history, Bill Belichick, when he's down eight points in the fourth quarter in the last seven years, is three and 35. So So you're saying if you're down eight in the fourth quarter, you typically lose. Yes. Yes. You have a 93% chance of losing that game. So Mike Sando goes on to say, so no one really wins under this scenario. So to say that Kyle Shanahan is the only guy in football who can't win under this scenario is absurd. Well, just remember this. Remember this. Anytime somebody quotes you a stat, make them quote you where it ranks in the league. Because the stat doesn't have relevance until you can tell me where it ranks. Right. Measure it against something else. Exactly. Tell me where it ranks in the league. Tell me where you tell me where Kyle, if you want to rip Kyle Shanahan. Great. Tell me where he ranks among his peers. Right. If you want to fire Kyle Shanahan, that's fine, too. Tell me who you're going to replace him with. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like that's the thing we get with the people. And, and you know, the way it is, um, we do we do YouTube channels. And people accuse guys like us of doing shows for clicks and and this and that. You're only doing it for clicks on your YouTube channel. Uh, Okay, that's fine. But if if you talk about Jake Brendel and Spencer Burford, you get 17 people in the room. If you talk about the quarterback, you get more. And if you talk about the head coach, you get more. And so I think we. I'm not the only person who's noticed this other people have as well. And so they parked their car at the corner of Trey Lance Boulevard and Brock Purdy's not good enough Avenue. And when that turned out to be, uh, you know, a huge gigantic colossal fuck up, then it was like, okay, wait a second. We'll pivot to Shanahan. He can't we'll, coach. we'll kick Shanahan in the nuts every single live stream. And that will fill up the, and so th- this is what's going on. You've got people who take shots at Brock, but now Brock's almost unassailable. He's literally a the greatest investment in their in their recent past. Uh, you know, the last pick in the draft, and he's an MVP candidate. So now it's like, okay, what's going to fuel the growth of my channel? I got to kick Shanahan in the nuts seventeen times this week. Otherwise, um, you know. I've got, I'll be, I'll be rendered talking about Kevin Givens and nobody will be clicking. Ah, you know what I mean? So it becomes a huge let's park on the corner of Shanahan sucks. And, and that's a fallacy. So it's just, it's the, it's the way of the world. It's the way of the internet. It's I, I, I understand it. Shanahan hasn't done it yet. We get it. But he's a relatively young man in the game. He's only been the Niners. He's only been a head coach since 2017. It's not like this guy was like a 15-year head coach somewhere else. He's only been a head coach for a short amount of time. Um, Yes, he's aged in this job, but he was—he's still a relatively young man in the in the game. Um, You know, there's an awful lot of people in Philly that had decided that Andy Reid sucked and that he couldn't climb to the top of the mountain. In reality, it takes a great head coach and quarterback combination. And then you've got to have talent around that player, you know, but it really starts there. You start with your head coach and your quarterback. He didn't quite have the cast. Uh, he lost to some good Brady teams, you know, and he lost once in the Super Bowl. 
now he's got Brock Purdy and a really good roster and, you know, a, a great chance. And we'll see. I mean, if, if 10 years from now, uh, Kyle Shanahan is still walking around with no rings, then maybe people are onto something. But until then, I think you got to let it play out. If they go to the NFC championship game, which, you know, they're one win away from, um, they will have been there four times in the last five years. So everybody needs to pump the fucking brakes. Right. And, 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 and see remember, this guy for it, what he is. The Eagles said, we, we got to get rid of Andy Reid when he was in what four consecutive NFC title games or whatever it was. And, and they only went to one Super Bowl. And then Donovan McNabb threw up in the fourth quarter and blah, blah, blah. Um, Andy Reid is a really good coach. And you should be able to recognize that until you see the picture of him holding a Lombardi trophy. Now, obviously, that's the zenith of coaching. That's what everyone is get, you know, gunning for. But if you need to see someone holding a Lombardi trophy before you can even acknowledge they're good at this, what you're admitting to the entire world is you don't even know what you're looking at. You are unqualified to be someone discussing football with any, like, gravitas or authority. Or you shouldn't even have an audience if your entire modus operandi has been the 49ers during the Kyle Shanahan have been poorly run and incompetently coached. Like if that's where you live, good luck because the Super Bowl this year will officially have burnt your credibility to the ground forever and ever and ever. And you can never be taken seriously again. I mean, you're the, literally the, the boy who cried wolf. You're the boy who cried training camp interception.